Hold on, hold on, stop the music. All right, guys, this is Jack. Today's show requires a little bit different of an introductory song. I'm going to play an entire song for you here by the Levelers. It should set the mood for the things that we're going to be discussing today.
right, so, uh, yeah, a little bit of a unique introduction. I don't know if I've ever done anything quite like that before. Um, try to have a little fun with it because it's a dark subject uh, that we're going to talk about today. Today's show is called, Are We the Last Free Generation? Future Generations in Voluntary Servitude. And uh, I, I really am concerned about future generations and the direction, uh, the trajectory uh, in regard to liberty and freedom in the world, let alone our country. And uh, we'll be talking about that today. We'll be talking about corollaries to the, the movie and book 1984 that I don't think people really have made in the past anyway. We'll be talk, uh, talking about how our children have literally been programmed to accept control and to expect control and to actually value control. Um, and it makes me very concerned about our future when I look ahead and think, Well, when I'm 75 years old, for instance, and I'm one of those old people no one listens to anymore, um, and these kids that are now, you know, children, I'm talking, when I say kids, I'm not I'm in a millennials here, I'm talking about kids, like, uh, I don't even know what we're going to call this next generation, right? And millennials are up into their 30s now. So I'm talking about kids that are like my grandson and granddaughter's age, you know, not even a year old yet for my granddaughter. When they're in charge, when they're 40, What type of world will they have accepted as just being okay when the only people that can remember real freedom are crazy old people like us? We'll talk about all that more today. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey guys, you know what? I love using herbs over conventional medicine for so many reasons, but there's so much hype in the herbal industry, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why I was so excited over seven years ago when I found Western Botanicals, an honest company with great products and wonderful people who really care about their customers. For all your herbal needs, do what I do and check out westernbotanicals.com. Hey guys, have you checked out the TSP Gear Shop lately? We offer awesome t-shirts promoting the Second Amendment, the 299 Days Project, the Sentinel Project, and more. We also offer things you just won't find anywhere else, like custom Kydex sheaths for the Mora Number 2 knife. Check it out at tspgear.com. So next, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. It uh, fitting uh, time in history for this episode, I think, as well, as war is raging here in America. We have Sherman's March Through Georgia. We also have Damn the Torpedoes Full Speed Ahead. And we have In God We Trust and the National Bank. And in other news, black soldiers are massacred as they try to surrender. Nathan Bedford Forrest, the future Grand Wizard of the KKK, is present. But it's not clear if he ordered the massacre or if it was spontaneous. He didn't stop it, though. Jules Verne publishes Journey to the Center of the Earth. Professor Lidenbrock decodes a strange message describing a path to the center of the earth via an Icelandic volcanic tube. It is a fabulous story reimagined and told again and again. And Union General John Sedgwick's famous last words are, quote, they couldn't hit an elephant from this distance, end quote. He's the highest ranking Union soldier to be killed in this war. Um, I'm going to read Sherman's March Through Georgia. Union General Course was able to, was able to hold the fort Now General William Tusmith Sherman has taken Atlanta, and he is leaving it a smoking ruin. This is the end of the world as Georgians know it. It is clear that this war has been backed primarily by rich plantation owners, so the Union strategy is to choke off the Confederacy commerce options. This includes the capture of seaports. Thus, when General Hood takes the majority 
of his Confederate forces into Tennessee to tempt Sherman into chasing him, Hood has simply cleared the way for Sherman's real objective, the seaport of Savannah. This is Sherman's march to the sea that will be the subject of the song by the next year. The orders are simple. Surrender will be met with reasonable terms. Resistance will be met with unsevered barbar unreserved barbarity. This is war, and there's no way to make it pretty, so Sherman doesn't try. He has seen too much agony and death. He wants it over, and he is willing to pay full price to get it. Sherman's troops march out of Atlanta with a swagger. The boys are singing glory, glory, hallelujah, but Sherman has had his fill of war. Quote, I confess without shame that I am tired and sick of war. It is, it is all glory and moonshine. Even success, the most brilliant, is over dead and mangled bodies. It is only those who have not heard a shot nor heard the shrills and groans of the wounded, lacerated friend and foe that cry aloud for more blood and more vengeance, more desolation. So help me God as a man and soldier. I will not strike a foe who stands unarmed and submissive before me, but will say, go sin no more. General William Tusman Sherman in a letter dated 1865. My take by Alex Shrug, who puts these together for us at TSP Wiki. It is said that when King Cyrus was finally defeated in war, Queen Tormis filled a skin with blood and seeking out the king's corpse had it propped up and she said, quote, I according to my threat will give thee thy fill of blood, end quote. And she emptied the skin's contents into his mouth. Finally, the king had his fill of blood. Certainly everyone else had had enough. Regarding the song Marching Through Georgia, naturally it is not a very popular song in Georgia even today, but it seems that most people don't remember the context of the song anymore. I vaguely recall an event where President Jimmy Carter was re greeted by the strains of this famous Union war song. Carter is a former governor of Georgia. I think it was a mistake. What was not a mistake was when the song was played at the contested Democratic Convention in 1924. The Ku Klux Klan endorsed Woodrow Wilson's son-in-law for the presidential nomination. The Northern Democrats didn't like it and tried to insert an, an, an anti-KKK plank into the party platform. While they debated, the band played marching through Georgia. As fights, fist fights broke out, the KKK candidate did not win the nomination, even though he did get the most votes on the first ballot. Now, there's an interesting bit of more modern history. Um, my take on, on this history segment today, I'll just put it this way. It is the fact, and we'll talk about it today during the show, that those who cry the most for war are those who have been the most insulated from it. It is just a fact. And when people who are anti-war are made out to be you know, anti-American or commie pinko or whatever they come up with, you know, Uh, when, when someone's anti-war, you, you, it's always from people who do not know what war really is. Or people who do, but can't accept it, and thereby defend it religiously because they want to justify the things that they have seen and had to do. Those who truly do self-examination after experiencing war and its reality generally come to the same conclusion, that war should be avoided at all costs, not entered into as an enterprise, which it seems to be many times today. All right, with that, let's get into uh, the main topic of today's show. Um, when I came up with this topic, I didn't really know exactly how I was going to approach it. I was making up the Tuesday poll for September, and I just thought of the title, Are We the Last, last Free Generation, Future Generations in Voluntary Servitude? And when I thought of that, I said, yeah, I'll put that down and, and maybe it'll win. It came in first place. That's so the one I'm doing first this month. So more of you asked to hear this show than any other show that I proposed for Tuesday shows for September. 
I will endeavor to make it worth your support and votes. And remember, guys, you can always vote for the Tuesday shows. Uh, the October Tuesday show lineup will be uh, presented pretty soon. There'll be a lot less uh, because we have a, a vacation coming in October. So there'll be less shows to pick from. But you can always vote at the forums, and it's always on the blog when I release the polls. And if you don't vote, then your vote doesn't get counted. And unlike you know modern elections, uh, your vote really does count here. It's a few hundred people that actually vote on everything from the audience. So you have a real chance to swing a, 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 a poll. I mean, generally the third, fourth, fifth places are split by tenths of a point. So just a few votes can change things. Anyway, so... You know, when I, when I came up with this, what I was really thinking about is the progressive loss of freedom and liberty in our country. And to understand that first, I think we have to first answer the question, what is liberty and what is freedom? And I, I really feel that part of why we've lost so much freedom and liberty in our country is that we have been convinced that the flag is freedom, that a song is freedom, that a government is freedom. That the army is freedom, that, that, you know, that the state represents freedom, that by being an American, you are free, that the two words are synonymous with each other. And it's been a very effective marketing campaign. American equals freedom. And we get, we get brainwashed with marketing and propaganda slogans like, freedom isn't free, right? And then people say that proudly. And again, usually it's not the people that actually saw the blood and the guts and, and saw their friends killed and had to kill other people that they just assume never have met, that, that, that chant these slogans and just they justify complex questions with a slogan. This is how you know you're talking to someone that's not educated on the subject. And it's not just about this. It's about anything. When well, I remember when the gay marriage debate was raging and the whole world would end if gay people could get married. By the way, have you noticed that nothing really happened over that? Okay, Giving people freedom apparently doesn't screw things up, I'm just saying. But you would get these you know, radio hosts having this discussion and some guy would call in and go, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And then you're like, okay, well then that's not a rational argument. Now that you can make actual rational arguments for or against that subject. I won't say you can't, but that's not one of them. And, and, and when, when we look at the world around us today and people are sacrificing liberties and freedom and blood and treasure and it's met with, but freedom's not free. Okay, that's not an analysis. And people that can't do an analysis of freedom and liberty and complex issues are easy to program and control. And it's never more easy to do this than to do it to our children. That's why today's show is going to focus on our children and how they're being programmed in today's system to think absolutely differently than we ever have. And it's not just about technology, and it's not, oh, gee, these kids today, like every generation has always said. It's not the kids. It's the system that's programming the children and, and what it's programming to believe and think. But to have this journey today, then we have to ask, well, what is freedom and what is liberty? And if it's not the red, white, and blue, if it's not the stars and stripes, if it's not the military, if it's not the state, then what is freedom? And this is the most important thing I think anybody can understand about freedom and liberty. You can't define freedom for anybody but yourself. You can just d define the basic tenets of freedom, the ability to live your life and pursue your dreams as you choose without interference from others unless you yourself interfere with others, right? But that's kind of like what allows freedom. 
But for you, there's something that you want to be able to do. There's the dream that you wish to pursue. Being able to pursue that dream is freedom for you. So just because I can pursue my dream in a, in a given state, and I'm not talking about a state of existence, but a state like the United States of America, a government. So under the government of this country, just because I can pursue my dreams to their fullest, if I could, right, let's say I could, that doesn't mean you're free, even if you're sitting right next to me because your dreams are different. Your, your hopes are different. Your desires are different. What you want to be able to do is different. Maybe what you want to do is to be able to be away from people like me. You don't want to have to deal with people like me. You want to go create your own little fiefdom somewhere and be left alone and be surrounded by people that believe what you believe, even if it's something completely counter to what I consider to be decent. As long as you're not hurting anybody, you should be able to do that if we have freedom. And, and, and we, we're not teaching people this. I don't know that we ever really did. But at least you kind of had the understanding that that's what freedom was. Today, with the educational programming being done to our children, that's not what freedom is defined as at all because it's constantly telling them, well, you can't do this, you can't say that, this hurts somebody's feelings, we don't use that word, it's not nice to do this, right? Like you, you should we, like one of the words that's being systematically eradicated from the vocabulary of people in the world today is the word stupid. That's a very important word that we need to not have it eradicated. Stupid people do stupid things and cause stupid problems. So when we tell children, oh, we don't say that word. We don't say stupid. We don't say idiot. Well, what do we say? Uneducated. There's a lot of uneducated people that aren't stupid. And there's a lot of educated people that are stupid. That doesn't work. There's a reason words like stupid and idiot exist. That's because there's stupid people and there's idiots. And there's people that behave stupidly and people that behave like idiots that aren't really stupid or idiots. But until such time as they want to behave properly, we need to avoid them. How can we define the very people you should avoid if we remove the word? It's a 1984 component, removing words from the dictionary. We'll talk about that today, too. But I think we have to see the history of freedom and its relationship with government to understand where we're really at. I don't remember the general, but there was a general or a colonel. It might have been, it might have been uh, Custer before he d died as a colonel. I don't remember who. But there was somebody in the settling of the American West when they were defeating the Native Americans who said, never have anyone, never has any group of people ever been this free. It's, it's a valid point, but it's not true because those same freedoms existed in all tribal societies. The aboriginals of Australia, the Maasai of Africa, the, uh, the, the Amazon tribes, and, and some of them still are left and they have a lot of freedom, but their, their world has shrunk. The, the native peoples believed not in the ownership of property, but the rights of all people to exist, to, to take what they needed. Now, I'm not going to say there weren't any tribes that weren't, you know, more state-like, because there were Aztecs and Incas, and okay, right? But most of the true hunter-gatherer societies that didn't create a civilization had this immense freedom. They didn't work that hard. And they were very, very healthy because of the diets that they ate. They didn't exercise the way that, you know, they weren't built the way that we think of them being built, like with super ripped abs or whatever. What they were in is very good shape for a human being to be in. 
And they had a culture, a common ideal culture they chose for themselves. And if somebody didn't want to be part of it, they could leave. They might have a hard life if they leave, but they could leave. They weren't held captive. They weren't told you can't go. And even though there was some intertribal warfare in all of these places, in most most instances it works itself out really, really quickly. Because no one can send the troops to war and stay safe in these societies. It's amazing how little appetite for war people have when they're the ones that have to fight it. And when they have to feel its direct effects, when they're not insulated from it. So these societies were largely free and largely free from warfare as well. One of the things we're told we need the state to protect us from. And if you look at the history of this country, the first thing we did was destroy the freedom of the native peoples. Now, this is not bash the white guy for messing up the brown people's land day. All right, This, this, this act has been repeated throughout the world. And it's not always been white guys doing it. You know, Hispanics did it in South America. So it's not about the color. It's about the people who had the power at the time. And it's, it, it's happened throughout the world by the people doing it to their own peoples as civilizations rose in places like Africa. Right? Those civilizations themselves squashed out the indigenous peoples. We think of indigenous peoples as being like this this thing that was like oh, it was here in North America and it was over in Australia and then civilization was all in the centerpiece and then it, it spread out and ruined that. Well, those types of societies were that was all there was over 10,000 years ago. There was no civilization as we think of it 10,000, 12,000 years ago. All societies were like this. And these as governments rose to control societies, they destroyed the freest that human beings have ever been. But yeah, when you came here to America, let's say at the time that we're discussing now, around the Civil War, but after it, when it was over, we had pretty much squashed the Native Americans within 10 years after the Civil War from the last bits of freedoms that they had and pacified them all and put them on reservations. If you were a free citizen in this country, you had a lot of freedom and liberty. You could live pretty much however the hell you wanted to, especially if you simply moved a little outside of towns and cities. Once you had, you know, if you bought yourself or settled 40 acres somewhere, on that 40 acres you could pretty much do anything you wanted. Nobody bothered you. Nobody bothered you at all. The, the, the things that we have to get permission to do today, like put a, a dam in on your property, a wall, you know, a pond. Now, damming a river, there was always an issue with that because of the people downstream. I'm not talking about that. How about digging a hole that fills up with water on your own property? That's what I'm talking about. I mean, if you would have went and asked permission to do that, people wouldn't have known where to even send you to. If you wanted to, you know, milk a cow and sell the milk to your neighbor, there was no nobody that got in the way of that. Hey, people died, yes, and then people figured out what was going on because no one wants to die and no one wants their customers dead. I mean, you have to think about think about this little fundamental reality here. One of the Worst things that there is in society today are hard drugs. I'm talking like heroin and, and, and what have you. Um, however, this stuff that's cooked up in you know houses and trailers and hidden places in the woods and stuff, um, generally, if taken at the right dosages, as long as the person knows what they're dealing with, doesn't kill people. I mean, long-term it kills people. You see what I'm saying? It's not poison. 
You, 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 know, you don't have people constantly taking heroin and dying the first time they take heroin. I'm not suggesting that you do. I'm just I'm making a point. Why? Because there's a business there. And as a drug dealer, if my customers die, they don't come back and buy more, and I don't make any money. So this, this, this facade that we need the state to fix these problems is just that. It's a facade. It's a facade. Businesses inherently want their customers to stay alive. Even the pharmaceutical companies want you to stay alive. They just want you to stay sick so you keep taking their medications. But the government hasn't protected you from them at all. It's actually empowered them. It's enabled them. And it's suppressed competitors. That's what the state always does. That's where we're at. And that's this progression. And every year, more freedom and more liberty is lost. And people argue about stupidity and nonsense. You know, while, while you are watching people lose their shit over a football player that doesn't stand for the national anthem, we have native people still today with a company trying to put a pipeline through their reservation where it's been admitted they have no legal right to it, trying to push these people out and then sending attack dogs, literal attack dogs after them, privately owned attack dogs. That's going on while everybody's losing their shit about Colin Kaepernick. And many other things are going on while that's happening. We're so misled. So there's an oppression of the right of a people that were promised a, a piece of property in perpetuity by the state that we equate with freedom. This, this is the world we're living in today. And this progression doesn't seem to be slowing down. In fact, it seems to be speeding up. So what's, what's happened is each generation has been educated by a system designed to erode liberty to accept more and more interference with their freedom and liberty. When I was a kid, and I'm not that old, I'm like 44 years old, 45 years old, whatever the hell I am. You know, I'm in my mid-40s. When I was a kid in the 1980s, I went to high school, and we had a lot of kids that hunted in school. We talked about guns all the time in school. This really isn't a Second Amendment issue, okay? Because this is a speech issue. We didn't talk about guns when the teacher was talking and we were supposed to be listening. But in the hallway, at lunch, at recess, you know, we had a thing called Senior Lounge that you could go to instead of Study Hall. Kids just talk, I mean, talked about, you know, all kinds of stuff. But that was a subject that came up all the time. No one lost their shit over it. No one flipped out over it. No one got expelled over it. Today, kids talking about guns gets them thrown out of school, gets them punished. So we've, and, and we have children now that if two kids were talking about guns, will go tell because they think it's a bad thing. So they, they've been conditioned, and that's just one instance of this conditioning that our children have had in this erosion of liberty. And there's many of them. Another thing our kids have been taught by the Internet more than anything else is they have no value to privacy whatsoever. None. They, they, they don't even have an expectation of privacy. So when they're told something like, well, you have nothing to fear if you have nothing, you should have nothing to hide if you have nothing to fear, right? That makes sense to them. It's a completely rational argument. Again, it's a slogan. It's not a rational argument. But to put our, to our young, young generation today, and I am including millennials in this, many of them, you know, 20 and under, that's a completely rational argument. That makes sense. Well, if you have nothing to, to, to hide, you have nothing to fear, if you have nothing to hide, to, to, yeah. That's like, you know, freedom isn't free. It's, it's not an argument. But yet, it works. 
See, and that's how you know when people have been properly brainwashed. When a slogan is sufficient where a logical, well-thought-out argument should be necessary. And that's where we are today. We've also been taught, and we've always been taught this, but this is more true today than any other time in history, to respect titles as authority versus to grant authority based on actions. When, when I was in the military, I was taught about what we call general military authority. A sergeant outranks a private. A sergeant gives an order. It's a lawful order of an NCO. A private follows the order. But that only goes so far. As you learn about leadership, you learn that the stripes on your shoulder or the bars on your collar do not command the respect of the men, and they don't give you the authority you think it gives you. It gives you, yes, this general military authority, but if you are to be effective with men, then you have to have them want to follow you. So your actions will dictate your effectiveness as a leader. And, and my father taught me this, you know, outside of the military, that this, you should listen to this guy because he's a good man, right? Not because he's, he's the, he's the priest. You listen to him because he's the priest. Well, is he a good priest or is he a bad priest? We have both, right? You should listen to a school teacher. Well, if they're a moral, ethical, and rational person giving you good advice, you should. If they're giving you terrible advice, like, You should go to college no matter what, then you shouldn't listen to them just because they're a school teacher. And our young generation has been taught that a title is equivalent to full authority. And that if a person has a degree, oh wow, well they have a degree in this subject. Therefore, nobody can ever tell them anything about this subject and, and tell them they're wrong if they don't have at least the same degree or higher in this particular subject. If he has a degree in history, he must know more about history than anybody without a degree, and certainly anybody without a degree in history. Well, that's, that's completely false. Now, it's been necessary to teach them that because the next step was systematically placing them into unserviceable debt. And that's what we have is kids coming out of, out of college today that have so much debt, they're never going to pay it off. They're going to be in debt for the rest of their life. Now, the only way you can get somebody to do that without doing any due diligence, because you would think if someone is going to go into a career field of any kind or shape or form, and they're told, okay, well, the, the cost of this is going to be $100,000, You would think that a lot of, of decision-making would go into that. There would be a lot of research. And I don't mean picking what you want to be when you grow up. I mean, like, real research, like what's the median salary? How long does this take to pass back? What's the, what's the failure rate for people that go into this? What percentage of people that get a degree in this actually work in their degree field? What percentage of them are unemployed? Wouldn't you do that with any other freaking thing that you were going to spend $100,000 on? I bet most of you think deeply about a purchase of $1,000. You say to yourself, do we really need to do this? How long will it last? What do we have that can do this now? Is there another way to get this done? You don't just go, well, pull out the checkbook, $1,000, bucks, that's how much. Now, you might spend the money, but you think about it. Is this worth my blood, sweat, and tears that I had to put into earning this $1,000? But we have children 
being sent off to go into a debt for $100,000 or more with no idea of the consequences of that debt whatsoever. And even at 17, 18 years old, when these kids are graduating high school and going into college, the way that you sell that is to convince them that the degree has a connotation of authority and knowledge. It's, it's a stamp, and therefore you know. It's like a certification. You know? Just like USDA on your beef. If you have that, you know you're good. And other people will value it too. You notice they sell this to you before you ever get near the real world? So we've taught them to have no value to privacy, respect authority based on titles versus actions, and we've systematically placed them in unserviceable debt. We've also taught them that degrees equal education. That if a person has two degrees, it's better than one degree. Well, what degree are you talking about? And are they in any way interrelated to each other? I have two degrees. I have two degrees and I have a master's degree and I still can't find a job. You know, and that's, that's where we're getting to. We're getting to the point where these people have multiple degrees, maybe an MBA and no job. I remember one time. This was an actual news report. I wish I could find this. It was on some station out of Little Rock when we lived in Arkansas. And there was this lady. And she said, I'm working so hard and I cannot find a job. I've got, I've gone to college. I've got a master's degree in everything. And I still can't find a job. Yeah, I didn't misspeak there. A master's degree. So how can someone go through the college education process if it's all it's cracked up to be, get a master's degree, and not be able to say the word master's degree properly. Well, you clearly have someone who hasn't been fully educated into the, the title of their own degree, yet has this vaulted master's degree. And that's because we have taught our children that education equals degree, degree equals education, that certification equals education. So all they're trying to do is get through it. They don't care about really learning from it, and it's not their fault. They've been conditioned by the system, and we've conditioned them because we were conditioned by the system. Forget it. It's a progression. That as long as I tick all the boxes, then this great big world is waiting for me, all while that world is shrinking, by the way. They've also been made overly comfortable. And we're all guilty of doing this because every generation wants what? I don't want my kids to work as hard as I did. I don't want it to be as hard for them. I want it to be better for them. I did this. There are so many times I bailed my son out of an uncomfortable situation where I should have let him struggle a little bit more. And I've had to learn as he's gotten older and he has a family of his own now, when I see him struggling, don't, don't, let it be. Let him face the reality of life. Now, if he's going to end up on the street, if he's going to end up in jail or something like that, I'm going to step in. But I'm going to have a hard time paying the bills this month because my wife was off on maternity leave and now a pipe broke in the house. Welcome to the world, kid. You're 26 years old. That's being a father. Fix it. Deal with it. I'm tired as shit because I finally got sick and tired of, of, of being a bartender. But to transition, I have to do my bartending job and work part-time at this new job until it can be built into a full-time job. And now I'm working my ass off and I feel like I'm going to fall, fall asleep. Yeah. Welcome to the world, kid. But it's so easy to want to reach in and say, you know what, let, let me let me give you a thousand bucks a month for a few months until you transition so you can just focus on them. No. No. But that's what we do. 
And we see it in the, in the, the educational system, in colleges with the whole safe spaces and trigger warnings. Where we have to have a place where we can feel unchallenged, in the very place where we should be being challenged. See, this is not just an indictment of the education. You have to understand what's going on here. These are children being programmed to grow into adults who will accept anything government tells them is valid. That believe because one side won in an election, the other side's wrong, and therefore whatever this side wants to do is okay. That is not how a constitutional republic is supposed to work. But don't worry about that, because the guys that set that up, they were all rich slave owners. Well, half of them were, but we'll just ignore that, right? Okay, see, this is the world we're living in today. They have been taught to value protection above vigilance. When I was a kid, you were told, don't talk to strangers. Don't get in a stranger's car. Right? Not, let me keep you where you can't possibly get near a stranger. Come home by a certain time so that we know that you're safe. If you can't get home by then, find a phone and call. This is before everybody had a cell phone. You were still expected. Somebody had a phone. You, you're with a friend. Go to their house. Call. Right? Now, we want, children have been taught to always be in vision. When parents do let their kids play, people are calling child protective services because the children are not being watched. Like 10, 12, 13 year old kids. When I was a kid, when I was eight, nine years old, I was free. We played all day. Every day, especially in summer, there was nobody watching what you were doing. When I was in school and we went to recess, there weren't teachers all over the place. You just had recess. When you got to the school in the morning before you went inside, there was nobody supervising anything. Maybe here and there. There weren't any real rules. Well, there were rules, but they weren't like, hey, you did this. Hey, you did that. You know, people just saw it themselves. Now this would be considered anarchy. Huh, interesting word there. But they've been taught that you are to be protected rather than to be vigilant. You want to disarm a society? Teach them you need cops to protect you rather than the vigilance to protect yourself. You want to teach people to, to have no value of their own privacy and allow the government to intrude into everything that they do and know everything about them and spy on them? Teach them to value protection over vigilance. And this is systematically in the education system now. We, we, to the point where we're told that when a school shooting goes on and a teacher leads children into a corner and says, hide, she's keeping them safe. It's not keeping them safe. It's making them stationary freaking targets. It's making them stationary targets for a shooter. That's what it is. But we call everything. This is with the hero worship as well. All cops are heroes. All teachers are heroes. There is a sign on the speed trap road, as I call it, Confederate Parkway down from my house, with a sign at the end of the road. I guess the church put it out there. I don't know. Because um, it's back to school time. And it says, real heroes don't wear capes. They teach. We love teachers. I know I'm going to make the teacher's butt hurt here. I'm not blaming you for what the system's doing. You're a piece of it. But you're not a hero because you're a teacher. Now, see, that's the thing. That doesn't make you upset. If I say to you, you're a teacher, you're not a hero for being a teacher. Well, I know that. Well, teachers aren't heroes. Oh, now you're all butthurt. See, because it, it's a slogan. It's not a logical argument. 
Teachers deserve more money because teachers are heroes. It's a slogan. It's not a logical argument. It doesn't make any sense. Which teachers deserve raises? All of them? Or the ones in districts that are being, you know, in states where they're legitimately underpaid? Because teachers in Chicago make a hell of a lot of money. More than a lot of people working a hell of a lot harder. I'm sorry. And not every school in Chicago is an inner city school with some heroic teacher that's there with a baseball. You can't do the baseball bat thing anymore. That was a movie in the 80s. That's gone too. Right? Just saying. Protection above vigilance. In other words, somebody else is responsible for your safety and they should provide that to you rather than you are the person that's responsible for your safety first. And other people are there to help you, but you have to be your own first responder. They didn't use those words, but that's how I grew up. Believing that I was first responsible for my own safety. If I did something stupid and got hurt, the question wasn't, why wasn't there someone there watching him? I mean, when you're four, that's different. But I mean, by the time you're you know, a tween or a teen, right? why did you do that? That was stupid. You know better than that. Today, it's why, isn't somebody, why wasn't somebody there to prevent it? Protection over vigilance. And that might be the worst one. That's why I'm harping on it. They've also been taught that prejudice of one amounts to privilege for another. We hear the word white privilege thrown around today. There's no such thing as white privilege in this country. It doesn't exist. Some of you I know don't believe me. I'm going to try to explain to you in a very rational way. Because remember, slogans are not arguments. Rational, well-thought arguments are arguments that can be considered in their validity. Right? See, by not teaching this to our children alone, we are destroying liberty. But the fact is, there are people in, in positions, especially institutional positions of power, that, that have policies and procedures that are negative toward people of color. That is, there is still systemic racism in America. It is nowhere near as prevalent as you are led to believe by the TV, but it's also not non-existent as the right would like you to believe. Or it's just a few people here and there. And it's at all levels. It's The welfare system may be the greatest crime committed on poor Americans of any color, by the way. But there is a certain reality. When a cop pulls a person over and it's a white guy or a black guy, they generally do have a different attitude. I know you're going to say you don't if you're a cop. I'm going to tell you I've seen it enough to know it's true. Okay? That's not white privilege. That's an unfair treatment of black people. Not white privilege. See, if we have a problem that blacks in any capacity are being treated unfairly solely because of the color of their skin... And we say, well, it's a white privilege. Then we've ignored the actual problem. And instead of saying, well, let's let's correct the problem, let's drag everybody down to the same level so everybody can be treated like, like shit. Let's have everybody get a mediocre education. Let's have everybody suspected of doing wrong. Not let's 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 raise everybody up to a level of respect until otherwise. Diminished by your own actions. Be judged by the content of your character rather than the color of your skin. You know, words like that. Those are now paid token homages to the past, but the message of people like that completely twisted and destroyed in the modern civil rights movement. Because the lunatics are in charge of the asylum.
And that's really the truth. It's all by design. The, the, the psychopaths are running the mental institution that is the United States of America today. And they're running it through the education system more than and the education system and the media. That is their two strongest arms, and they use that to shape and control the minds of people. And I want to kind of move into some corollaries with the story 1984. Um, there's a movie uh, based on the book, though it's not completely true to the book. But the movie is actually very useful for the discussion today. So the, the, the basic concept of 1984, for those that don't know, is that Big Brother is the government and they control everything. And there's a party called the Outer Party that's like the main party that's in control of everything. There's screens everywhere watching everything you do. You have a screen in your house. You're not allowed to turn it off. You can get in trouble for it. Uh, procreation is controlled. Uh, you never can be alone. And there's an ongoing, continuous war. And people that are considered traitors or treasonous are tortured until they believe that which is untrue. Two plus two equals five. And they genuinely love Big Brother after they've been tortured by Big Brother. That's the closest synopsis I can give you to it without making a whole show about nothing but 1984. If you watch the movie, it's a pretty screwed up movie, and uh, it's done, I think, in the 80s, and it's British, and it's really dystopian in the way that it looks. And it's described as bleak and dark. Right. Well, this is the... The modern corollary, it's not dark and bleak. It's rather shiny and well lit. See, this is what we've been... One of the things that, that, that authors and creators of these dystopian movies have always kind of fell down with is this concept that, well, it would look dark all the time. The sun was barely shining and everything would be dank and everybody would look wretched and horrible. And, and See... If you want a people pacified, you want them happy with shiny things. You want them entertained by idiots on the television set that, that make them feel good about themselves, because at least I'm not that stupid. It looks like this. 1984 is 2016. This is exactly where we are, and it looks shiny and well-lit. And don't be deceived by nice packaging of a horrible thing, because that's what you've got. The next is, we carry our own screens now, And while we're permitted to turn them off, we never do. I mean, some of us do, but your kids won't. Your kids are growing up with a screen. They, 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 they love the screen. And the screen can be a wonderful thing. But there's two ways the screen gets used. One is to pull information. The other one is to have information pushed out. The TV has been the push tool of choice, right? pushes information out. You don't really get that much choice with TV. You think you do, but you know you get the channel package with 400-odd channels, and you realize it's, it's all the same shit. No real variety. So this Internet thing came along, and all of a sudden, through things like YouTube, you can actually learn about, find out about, and be entertained about anything. Some kid with an iPhone will make a YouTube series that you'll like. Some redneck will make a YouTube series about little ducks growing into big ducks and how they live on a farm. And your kids will watch it with you and think, this guy's all right. This type of stuff happens today. But yet, where do people spend the majority of their time online today? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, social media. Facebook is probably the biggest one. And what... Do these people choose to spend their time doing on Facebook, the vast majority, arguing about politics? Now, 
Your 12-year-old that's on Facebook isn't doing this, but they're being conditioned and they'll come right into it. By the time they're 22, 23 years old, they'll be having arguments with people they don't know about which politician is better. And they'll, they'll be better at arguing about it than you are. Now, that doesn't mean that these things can't be used in a way that is useful. I think we get a lot of mileage out of the regenerative agriculture group on Facebook because it's politically free. There's no politics whatsoever allowed there. And therefore, the actual information that's relevant to you that you want to know more about takes up space that otherwise would be taken up by the pushed information. We become the information peddlers for them. So that even when you turn the TV off, the screen's there. But not only do we carry our own screens to view, but to be viewed. We know, thanks to Edward Snowden, that your phone can be remotely turned on and monitor everything you're doing. They can turn your camera on and look at you. They can turn your camera on on your, on your Mac. They could be watching me right now through my iMac. be a little hard to the piece of tape that's there. But they can do this. We know this is true. We know this is real. And we carry the screen. Instead of the screen, in the movie you'd see there's a screen in the house and there's a screen in the workplace and there's a screen everywhere and they constantly are sending information to you to, to brainwash you to love the state. We carry the screen, not just to see, but to be seen. Next, the party. You know, that was part of how Orwell, who wrote the book, sold the idea of complete dictatorship. There was a party, the party, like the Communist Party and, you know, Soviet Union. There's one party, and that's why it's a, you know, elections, but you can pick Communist A or Communist B. The party is the parties. Today we have a Republican and a Democratic Party, but we don't really have a choice. They're all bought and paid for. They're all seeing to their own self-interest. And what you have to understand is that the government itself is corruptible. And that which can be corrupted will be corrupted. I mean, that's a constant that no one really wants to look at. Government hates liberty. That's a very uncomfortable constant as well. And I'll tell you how you can prove that to yourself, even if you don't want to believe it. You can still prove, because remember, a slogan's not an argument. You have to actually prove things out. So, this is what I would say then. Show me a government that was ever established. So, like, when you have power ripped away from the king and a new, you know, House of Lords and Commons in, in, in England, there was, there was greater freedom for the average person when that happened at first. That, that's, that's, so I'm not talking about like, an insurrection or a revolution that has a clear definitive point where power was wrested from one and then divided, okay? But once the existing system of government is in place, the United States, for example, we threw out the British, we established the Articles of Confederation and later the Constitution, and we became the constitutional republic that we're supposed to be. Show me a government that from that clearly delineated point, moving forward, where the general population as a whole became more free. So you can cheat and say, well, in the United States, women didn't have the right to vote, whatever. No, 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 the totality of freedom. So take the freest people in that society, right? And if all we're doing is bringing others up to their level of freedom, see, that's not privilege, it's oppression. See, that's, what, that's the real way I should have phrased it with the kids. We've taught them that oppression of one equals privilege for another. Well, oppression is wrong. We should be correcting oppression, not suppressing privilege. So yes, we can look at examples where governments have given greater freedom to people who did not have them. But if we used 
the white male in, you know, 1800s North uh, United States of America, right, as the standard for what is liberty, all you can see is a progression of less and less freedom. And once we had as much equality as we've gotten to in this country, and we have pretty much equal opportunity for everybody, we really do, in spite of these institutionalized problems, if you really want to be successful, being black doesn't prevent that, right? It just doesn't. There's a lot of black millionaires to prove that out, okay? And they're not all famous rock, uh, rap stars and, and, and athletes either, okay? I, I know one who's a very, very wealthy man who's in real estate and, and built what he has from nothing. So the opportunity's there. So when we, when we take that as, okay, here's where everybody has everything, where does it always go? It always atrophies to less and less freedom and less and less liberty. So the only, the only logical conclusion to draw is that government and state hate freedom and liberty because it's things they're not involved with. And, and that's where government wants to be. They want to be involved with everything. And the only way you can be successful in government is for government itself to grow. It's a failure if government shrinks because it costs jobs and budgets and things like that. So we have to have growth at all costs. And it's why all governments eventually collapse. And every government that's ever existed in society has eventually grown to a point where it's collapsed. This one will be no different. But how willingly will the lemmings go along for the ride if things continue the way that they're going? And it is all by design. The, the lunatics are running the establishment. And so much so that we are now self-editing the dictionary. So another corollary from 1984 is that the dictionary kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. They were approved words. Words you were allowed to use. Severe punishment if you used a word that's not in the official dictionary. That's from 1984. Well, I just saw some idiot, and he's an idiot. See, we shouldn't get rid of words like idiot. Idiot was, by the way, one of the words he wanted to get rid of uh, from a college. I don't remember what college. He was on Fox News. Yes, Fox with F-A-U-X, fake news. And uh, so he's there, and he's representing the society. They're putting these things all over campus. They want words not used. One of the words they don't want used is lame. Can't use the word lame. Because he's somebody with a bad leg might be offended by that. Because you've, you've, you've said that, you know, somebody's idea was lame, meaning it wasn't good. Well, do you, do you think a person with a bad leg thinks that their leg's good? Well, they're, they're being led to believe this. They, you know, they, this is an opportunity. You have a bad leg. You can be special now. No, it sucks. Most people with any brain power, if they have a bad leg, would, would prefer that it wasn't bad. I have knee problems. Not just from my injury earlier this year, which, by the way, is about 100% you know, healed. But I actually had knee problems before that happened. I have knee problems on both knees. It happens when you jump out of airplanes when you're young and stupid and think it's a good idea. I, I would prefer that they not be that way. There's When I was hurt bad earlier this spring, I was lame, if, using the term that way. I had to use crutches. I had to have my wife wheel me through an airport with a wheelchair. The word lame wouldn't have offended me. One of a fan, like, oh, you shouldn't say he's lame because I'm lame, and that makes me feel bad. But that's what we're doing. There were a bunch of words. Idiot and stupid were other words that this guy didn't want used. It's offensive. It's highly offensive. What if a person isn't as smart as you, and then you say idiot about something somebody else did, now they feel bad about the fact that you're smarter than them? 
I mean, Harrison Bergeron, man, put the bands on and turn up the thing so everybody's equal. If you've never seen that movie, guys, the old one from the 90s, Harrison Bergeron, I'll put a link in the show notes today. My God, that's exactly where we're headed with this. And we're self, we're doing the work for them. They've gotten us so conditioned, we're removing the words from the dictionary. Think about how many things that you said as a kid, if you're in your 40s or older, that are considered completely unacceptable today. I remember the first time, and this is my in-laws, right, kid, uh, when my, my, my nephew, Andrew, he was probably five, six years old, and I said somebody was an idiot. He said, we don't say that. That's not a nice word. We don't say that. Institutionalized people, school teacher and police officer. Now, I'll tell you that they were doing it for a different reason, but it still has the same effect. It's got to be where parents are like, we don't say that all around. So you teach your kids not to say that, so they don't say it in school, so they don't get in trouble. And then when they get older, well, then they can use words like that. You know, that's my daughter-in-law. That's what she said. We don't say that. When he gets older, he can say that. But, not. but see, how much older you're going to get before, see, what happens is progression of erosion of these words. To in another 10 years, you know, it'll only be old people like me saying idiot and these crazy old man, so we don't listen to him. That's, that's where we're headed. We're self-editing the freaking dictionary. If you've never seen the movie, it's, it's, it's a weird movie, but man, if you don't want to read the book, you know, take 90 minutes or whatever it is and it'll, it'll make a lot of sense. And then there was an endless war. We we're always at war with East Asia, right? For those that know where that's from. But there's an endless war in 1984 that justifies the government's actions. We have to do this because if we lose the war, we'll lose our freedom that we don't have. Okay? Did they hate us for our freedom, by the way? Yeah. Okay. Today, the endless war is not just the endless foreign wars that we're involved in. They're certainly there. And those bad people there will come get us if, unless we go there and kill them first. Whereas they might actually be less likely to come here if we weren't over there killing them. And if their system's so bad and doomed to failure, maybe we just left them alone, they'd get on with failing already, and maybe they'd stop doing that. But no, we have to stay at war. But the war is as much internal. There is indeed a civil war going on right now in America, and there's thousands of them. White against black, rich against poor. Typical class warfare. But it's been amped up to a huge degree. We have white kids running around saying white people are the problem, like almost clueless to the fact that they're white. Like now that I've said that, I'm not really white anymore, right? Like as long as I'm, I'm self-hating enough, the other side will accept me, and then I'm okay, and I'll bash all the other white people who are not self-loathing. A house divided cannot stand. We've heard that before from history. How divided of a people are we? And when we're divided, we're easy to control. And then the, the law that's going to be passed, that's going to take more liberty, is something you have to deal with because of those other bad people. You don't see them as equal anymore. See, if we actually understood what civil wars meant, we'd understand that they're all civil. The hallmark of a civil war is fighting for control of a country. Yes. And brother killing brother. That's, that's the horror of a civil war. The countrymen kill each other. Brothers face each other on the battlefield. Cousins face each other on the battlefield and, and, and believe there's a civility to war. That this is how we're going to work this out. 
If we understood that every person on this planet was our brother and our sister, regardless of their ideology, regardless of their race, regardless of their religion, that even the ones that are bad people that really should go to a bad place where they can't bother other people, they're still our brothers and sisters. And the people we usually end up fighting aren't those bad people. Those are the ones that pull the strings. Every time we go to war, brother kills brother and sister kills sister. Every time. Because we're all brothers. We're all human. We're all here together. They don't want to tell you that. Because it's not easy to control people unless they're divided. Um, so what can we do about this? Because this all sucks, right? Um, this is back to circle of influence and circle of concern. You can't, you absolutely can't fix this problem. And we're not all going to get together and form the fix the stupid world club and fix the stupid world. We're not going to do it. And this progression is going to continue until such time as it does collapse on itself. It's going to eventually have to happen because we're becoming weaker as a society, weaker as a people, weaker as a species. And you're going to get to a point where the strong are, what are going to survive. So we need to build strong children into strong adults. And we can start by teaching our children, first and foremost, that freedom is precious. And it does not come from the state. By the time your child is old enough to understand those words, they should be hearing them from you. Three, too young. I ain't going to understand what you're talking about. My, my grandson's five. Not that deep of a conversation yet. Not ready for it. But when the time comes, it's what he'll hear from me. Freedom is precious. It doesn't come from the state. It's not a police officer. It's not a soldier. It's not any other hero, true or created. Freedom is precious, and only you can define freedom for yourself. You can't tell children, freedom is being able to do this, 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 and this. Maybe they don't want to do that. You have to tell them freedom is being able to live your life on your own terms but the only way that you'll understand freedom is to define those terms. You have to actually figure out what you want to be able to do so that you can carve freedom out for yourself because no one's going to give it to you. The slogan, freedom isn't free, is true. It just doesn't mean what they've taught you that it means. It doesn't mean that freedom is purchased at the price of another person's blood going to a place they never wanted to go so that you can sit here and have the things that you want. No, no. That's an illusion of freedom. Since they suck worse, we're free. That's like saying you're free when you're in a minimum security prison because you're not in a maximum security prison. It's absolutely the case that a minimum security prison, with things like work release, let's say, is far more freedom than a supermax. I think if you had no choice, gun to your head and you're going to go, and you can go to a minimum security prison that has things like work release. Or you can go to a supermax. You might say you don't want to go to either one, but which one are you going to pick when you have no choice? Except that choice. Well, the minimum security one, right? You're still in prison. You're still in prison. And that's, that's the illusion that's being created because we're not defining freedom for ourselves. I want to do these things. Well, those are illegal, so they're, that you can't do them. And that's not freedom. Freedom is following the law. That's what we've been conditioned to believe. Just because there's a law doesn't mean it's moral. 
And it's not where we stop. We don't say, well, just because that's illegal, we're not going to do it. Now, we don't go flagrantly breaking the law and ending up in a real prison, because then we do have less liberty. But, okay, how can we design around this restriction? See, what we, we've been conditioned to believe that if there's a law against something, that the law itself employ, applies morality. We, you shouldn't have people smoking pot because they get high on it, and that's bad. Who, who are you to decide that for somebody else? Who are you to decide what plant somebody can and cannot grow or possess? You have no place to do that. So as children begin to progress and get older, you can teach them that these laws are unjust, but they still have to be followed because if you don't, here's the consequences. But you should be working to change those. You should be working to erode those laws. We shouldn't respect the law. We should respect morality. That's the only way you could find and define freedom is to respect morality rather than law. We could pass a law tomorrow that says all redheaded children uh, after the age of five until they're 18 are to be once a year punched in the face for being redheaded. We could pass that law. We probably wouldn't survive, but we could. There was a time we probably could have gotten away with passing a law like that. There may come time again where we're able to pass a law like that. Does it make it moral? Does it make it right? Well, that's the law. I'm only following my orders, kid. Get over here. I got to punch you in the face. You're a redhead. And then we could change the law to say that all children that are blonde get punched in the face. And that if you dye your hair to avoid being punched in the face, you get punched in the face twice a year instead of once a year. Pass that law. Is that moral? Of course not. And it seems ridiculous. It's a straw man fallacy. No, it's a completely valid argument. We have come to believe that a law against something infers that doing it is immoral. And that means we're using our morality to judge the morality of another person when they're not harming anyone. And we used to think this way not that long ago. We at least felt, well, that law shouldn't be there. Now we're teaching our children to just accept it. Nothing you can do about it. Better follow the law. How about there's always something you can do about it? Figure out a way around the law. If the law is preventing you from being free. We have to balance that, though. That doesn't mean go break the law to break the law. That doesn't mean if you don't think you should be smoking pot, go smoke pot. You know, Go to Colorado just to do it. If you don't think you should smoke pot, don't smoke pot. You know, If you don't think two gay people should get married, then don't be gay and don't get married. Leave other people alone. See, and they, they've confused the issue because it's the progressives that are saying, well, that, that we, should, we should allow gay marriage. But they want to make people that don't want to be involved with it be part of it. And that's how you continue to divide. That's how you continue to divide. We have to teach our children skills so they can adapt where others fail. As the system begins to fall apart, it will be the adaptable and the innovative that will succeed as young adults in the next 20, 30 years. So teach them skills. Teach them how to fix stuff. Teach them how to learn. Teach them how to learn. Teach them how to define their own questions. And then get those answers rather than just to get the answers to the questions that are given by a teacher. Help them define what freedom is for them. Don't dictate it to them. Don't tell anybody what freedom is. For them. Only for, for me. This is what I want. What do you want? It's a hard question. What if you could do anything, be anything, go anywhere, do anything that you wanted? What if there was no laws? What if there was no restrictions? 
What if you had free will to do as you please? How many people do you think would say, well, I'd go out and start killing people tomorrow? Probably not very many. That facade of protection versus vigilance comes back. Encourage independent learning and systems thinking. Help them to, to mentally take apart something, to dissect it. Teach them to mentally take apart slogans. Freedom isn't free. Well, what does that mean? And is it is it a valid argument in the context that it was used? That's the only way you can create young adults that are resilient and are just not pushed around by society to believe whatever they're told. Teach them that failure is necessary if one is to succeed. Another way that we have completely controlled the youngest generation is to have them so afraid of failure they only do what they're told let that sink in for God's sakes America let that sink in how do you get a people to be completely subservient and go into voluntary servitude and do whatever the state says convince them that doing anything other than what they were told what somebody else has already said is okay is dangerous or will get you hurt you can't use this tool because it wasn't certified by the government department of blah 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 bullshit you can't take the next step until you're told to You give me the answer that I gave you yesterday and you get a gold star. You tell me why the answer is wrong or you challenge the answer and you're put down for it. You want a nation of serfs? You want a nation of indentured, servitude, slaves? You teach them that one thing and that's all you need to do. That's the only thing you need to accomplish. If you create a generation, one generation that believes that they can only do things the way that they're told to do them and somebody in authority must define it for them and you're done. And they're this freaking close to it and you can't see it because it's not video, but I've got my finger and my thumb less than an eighth of an inch apart. They're this close to it. This next generation, it's their target. And the people in the system that are indoctrinating them don't even know it because the lunatics are running the asylum. The psychopaths, I should say, are running the asylum. You have to encourage independent learning and systems thinking. You have to teach them that failure is necessary. And you have to instill a spirit of insurrection in them. We should be teaching our children when they're told you can't do something. The first thing they should ask, even, you know, think about it. You still have to fit in the society to get along. So not necessarily in the face of the person that said it. But the first question should be, well, why not? Is that true? I'll give you a for instance. One day, I was sitting in my backyard in Arlington, Texas. And I had a perfectly valid pellet trap, and I was sitting out there with a pellet rifle, and I was doing some target practice. And I'm in the suburbs. The neighbor next door, kind of a nervous nilly of a woman, called the police department. He's shooting a gun. Okay. Police officer shows up. Nice lady, just doing her job. Says to me, you have to stop doing that. Why not? It's considered discharge of a firearm in the city of Arlington. I don't think that's right. It is. Okay. Now, see, I could have been an asshole. I could have said, 
Really? Then write me a ticket for it. I could have made a commotion. I could have argued it immediately. I just decided that this wasn't critical to my overall happiness and well-being at this second. There may, in fact, or may not be a law that says I can or can't do that. I never heard of a problem discharging air guns before, especially with a safe backstop. So I just simply said, okay, fine. And she left. What she was really saying is, I don't want to have to do this, and you're bothering me. So I'm going to use my shiny badge to scare you into compliance. Well, that's not me. First thing I did, I called the non-emergency number for Arlington Police Department and said, is there any law in the city of Arlington that prohibits the safe discharge of an air gun in a backyard? And I had a long conversation with the lady who put me into touch with a guy, and we talked about what I was doing, and in the end it turned out there was absolutely no law against what I was doing at all. There was no law. So I got his name, wrote down everything, got his direct dial in dial number, And the next day I went back to shooting my pellet gun. The same female officer came back and said, we had this discussion. I said, yes, and I've called this man at your department, and she knew his name, which was a good sign. And I said, they've told me there's no law against this whatsoever, so I'm free to do this. And now if you'd like to cite me, then I can go to your court for whatever you would cite me for. Well, there was nothing to cite me for. So she went away and never came back. And I'm sure she eventually had to tell the lady, there's nothing I can do about this, ma'am. He's not breaking the law. See, there's a right way to be an insurrectionist, and there's a wrong way. When you pick a fight with the person that's just doing their job, before you've gotten enough information from one of their superiors to prove to them that they're wrong, then you're going to have a problem. And she would have probably found something else to cite me for creating a disturbance or something like that, right? But since I actually went and I complied, and then I went and got the information, and then I said, this sergeant that works for your department told me yesterday that what I'm doing is completely legal. And here's his number, and he said that if you were here again, or any of your fellow officers were here again over this issue, to call him. If you'd like to call him, here's his number on a piece of paper. And she said she was going to check into it, and she would appreciate it if I would just not shoot any more today. And I said, no, I'm sorry. What I'm doing is legal. Unless you have other business here, could you please let, leave me to my day? And she did. She said she, she would be back. She never came back. I never heard from anybody again about it. Now, it could have been the case, because some, some cities probably do have a law against it. But you don't just accept it. But you also pick the time of your argument and your battles. That's very, very important. And that's a spirit of insurrection. A spirit of insurrection is, well, you can't do this. How can I do it? Well, you're not allowed to do this. Well, how can I, in the current system, get as close to that as possible? How can I succeed where I'm told I can't? That's insurrectionist thinking. I just don't know if there's any hope. I want to believe there is. I want to believe there is. But are we the last free generation? By the time the, the, the children that are infants right now are our age, will they even remember the things that I'm talking about? Or they will think of those, the scary days when bad things happened all the time. I don't know. I don't know. 
and I can't fix it. Again, we can't create the Fix the Stupid World Club and just fix it. But I can influence the people in my life, and that's what you can do. But that's the only thing that you can do. So get busy doing it. Because liberty is precious. It's so precious. And it's up to us to define it. And only when we define it can we then defend it. Only when we define it can we then seek it. And only in seeking it can we ensure it for the future. I hope that makes sense. And I hope you got what you were looking for in today's show if you're one of the people that voted for it. With that, if you like this show and you want to support the work I do, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. But don't do it. Do it Thursday. Big sale coming Thursday. Big announcement coming tomorrow on the blog about the big sale on Thursday. And a really special thing. A really, really special thing that all MSV members are going to be able to get a great discount on in addition to a great sale price, which is going to be 30 bucks a year. Yeah. So MSB is coming for 30 bucks a year uh, from Thursday, 9 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. It's going to be a 30-hour sale. It's going to be a 30-30-30-30 sale, and you'll find out about all those 30s soon. Next up, um, the way you can always support the show and the work that I do, if you think shows like you heard today are important, if you want this kind of message out there, if you want this type of critical thinking taught, and you want to support our show, just do your Amazon shopping by going to tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com, and click the link and go to Amazon once you're there and buy your stuff and support our show, and it doesn't cost you nothing. It doesn't even really take any extra time. But I also do a write-up every day um, on the website, and today's uh, write-up is a pretty cool one. Uh, the preparedness item that I have for you today is the uh, Vier uh, 300P portable air compressor for your car. Gave you a plug kit last week. Plug doesn't do much for you if you don't have a way to put air in the tire. Uh, the Vier product is the best that I have found. Uh, I have a 450P, which is a bigger, more expensive one, uh, but I have that because I have very large tires on my truck, and these little compressors, it's a lot of work for them to do to air up a, a really big tire. So that one's designed more for people with large trucks and RVs. Um, but the 300 will do well. It's like 150 bucks. The 450 is like 288 And what I say in the write-up today is I've tried to find something I can recommend for like 50 bucks or less that's good, and I really can't. I actually did include the best sub fifty dollar one I've ever found. It's um, it's made by Q Industries. It's called HV thirty five, and it's a pretty decent little air compressor. And it will at least get enough air in your tire to get you down the road to somewhere better to deal with your problem. But the uh, the Viair products are outstanding, and I think once you get one in your hand, you'll see why. Um, and you can read my write-up today on the blog about the Vi-Air uh, air compressors, 300P and 450P. And I really think they're a piece of vehicle kit uh, that you should add. And if you can't afford it, sometimes, you know, we look at things and say, well, it's better than nothing. And it really isn't because it's false on security. Um, when, it, when it comes down to it, the, uh, the HV35 low-cost one, which is like 30 bucks or something like that, is better than nothing. And it will most likely get you out of a jam, at least, again, where you can deal with your problem in a more safe environment. If you get enough air in the tire to drive it safely to a gas station and throw 50 cents in a compressor there, you can get the rest of the way aired up. So I really recommend one way or another that you get a air compressor in your vehicles. This is a great way to turn what could be a major pain in the ass into a minor inconvenience. 
well, I have a spare tire. Well, first of all, if you have a new car, maybe you don't. But, again, changing a spare tire on the side of a highway is dangerous. It's really good to be able to at least get into a parking lot or something like that. And then the other thing is, what if you're far from home and you're driving down the road and you drive over some nails that fell off the back of a truck and you get two or three flats and you have one spare? It happens. It's happened to me. I lost three tires on a truck. I was like... 30 minutes south of Houston, I was going to the beach on vac- basically like a mini vacation, like a two-day surf fishing trip, just me. You know, you go down there and hang out and catch fish in the surf. It was great. And it ended up being great because I had an air compressor and a plug kit. I would have been, I mean, even I would have got it. I mean, I would have got towed. I would have got to a shop. I it would have ruined the whole day. I ended up like one tire looked low. I see this head of an aluminum roofing nail sticking out of it. You know, and I start checking the pressure on the other tires. Oh, pressure gauge, good thing, too. I have three that are low enough that something's not right. So I, you know, start moving them, and I find all three tires. One had two nails in it. Four plugs go in, air the truck up. I went fishing. I didn't even worry about it. I'm just saying, this is an important piece of kit, I think. All right, next up, remember, you can support the entire audience or all the entrepreneurs in the audience if you consider shopping at tspbiz.com when you're doing uh, business for anything. See what's available from other entrepreneurs. Schaefer Select Coins is our uh, supporter of the directory today. They provide rare numismatic coins and currency. They're located in central PA, and uh, they also give a 10% discount to MSB members. I'm just saying, so they're one of our supporting vendors there as well. So consider supporting them the next time you're looking to make purchases in silver, especially if you want to do something that's a little bit cool and numismatic, uh, more so than just buying your you know, American Eagles or what have you. All right, with that, time for our closing song. I won't say much about it because there was plenty about Civil War in today's show, um, but this is a song called Civil War. It's by uh, an 80s rock band. because They're still around, actually, but they were really big in the 80s, Guns N' Roses. Listeners sent me this and said, you should probably play this before we run out of you know, Civil War in the history segment, because even though it's not about that Civil War, it's still a pretty good song. And it's one of these songs that's like really slow, and you can actually hear the vocals, and You realize that this guy that screams all the time, Axl Rose, actually has a really incredible voice. And then he gets really hard and heavy and screams, and it comes back and forth. And it may not be everybody's cup of tea, but listen to the words. Listen to the words in this song. Now, I want to tell you something that a lot of people have heard the song don't know. The very beginning of it. And if you've heard the song before, you know, what we have here is a failure to communicate, right? You know, that little little, uh, dialogue at the beginning of it. That's actually from a movie called Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke is the this, this story of a man who never gave up. He never quit. It's actually, in some ways, in some ways, a little bit like 1984 in One Man Trying to Resist. It doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. But it was an incredible movie. Paul Newman starred in I believe it was either 66 or 69, somewhere around there it came out. And if you're looking for an old movie to check out, check out Cool Hand Luke. And otherwise, enjoy this song. Even if it's not your cup of tea, listen to the words. And uh, they may speak deeper to you today after hearing the show than they would have yesterday. And for those of you that remember the song but never really listened to the words, listen to them for the first time. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Some men 
you just can't reach. So you can get what we had here last week, which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets I don't like it.